Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, hello, and welcome to the first episode of Candid Catholic Convos of 2024. So how are you doing with your New Year's resolution? Yep, I went there. We're officially one week into 2024, and just a few short nights ago, we felt joyful, we rejoiced, and optimistically declared that this year, we would become the best version of ourselves. But if you've already messed up on your New Year's resolution, guess what? You're in good company. According to a study conducted by the University of Scranton, just 8% of people actually achieve their New Year's goals, while around 80% fail to keep their resolutions. And a new poll of 2,000 Americans found that it takes just 32 days for the average person to finally break their resolutions, with 68% report giving up their resolutions even sooner than that. In fact, according to Forbes, the second Friday in January is officially known as Quitter's Day, the day that most Americans will have quit their New Year's resolutions. That's because resolutions rarely lead to the transformation we're longing for. Why is that? Is it because we have terrible willpower? Maybe we didn't have a grand enough vision? Or maybe it's because we didn't have a solid plan? If you have lofty goals for 2024, especially if they center around health and wellness, like more than half the population, I want you to really lean into this episode. Because today I'm chatting with Erin McCole Cup, an author and expert on theology of the body, about the theology of moving your body to honor God, managing disordered eating, and committing to true overall wellness of the mind, body, and spirit. Erin, thank you so much for joining me on Canon Catholic Convos today. It is a brand new year. I am super excited to just kind of dive into this. Um, so if you don't mind, would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself? Not at all. Um, of course, this is the question that I am the least excited to talk about, but... <laughs> it's always the hardest one to answer, right. too, right? It's like, what, what version do you want? The cliff notes or the, you know, it's like, let me Anyway, um, my name's Erin McColcup. Um, I am a lay Dominican, and um, I came back to the church when I was about 18. Uh, no, that's when I came back to Christ, and then by, by the time I was 19, I was Catholic again. Um, in that time, I have struggled with coming to terms with childhood trauma, which is hugely instrumental, for lack of a better term, in um, my developing an eating disorder. And as a result of that eating disorder, I gained 100 pounds, oh, actually over a little over 100 pounds, and was working so hard at getting closer to God in my faith and, you know, praying and reading all these theology books. I had a theology book in one hand and a bag of chips in the other a lot of the times. <laughs> so um, that was just God laying the rails for him to heal me, not just in my mind, but in my heart and in my body. And as a result of all of that, um, I came to 
recovery for my eating disorder. Um, and over the course of a couple years, lost the 100 pounds and I've kept it off ever since. And I'm living in food freedom. And um, it's the kind of thing that if I don't share that with other people, don't make that available to other people, when I get to my soul review, it's not going to go well. Mm. So I kind of feel duty bound to make this as accessible as possible to people, this knowledge of not just head knowledge, but the heart knowledge as well of uh, how much God wants to heal us, body, heart, mind, and soul, and all the things he has in store for us. I love that because I feel like I feel like a lot of that is is so gatekept anymore. So I love that you're you're being open and forthright and just sharing it with everyone because because you're right, I think there's there's that disconnect between we think that it's it's just the body. So we focus on just the body and not the other things that go with it. And I'm so glad that you talked about um, being in recovery and your struggles with weight because, you know, it's a brand new year. Everybody uses this as a benchmark for new beginnings. Mm -hmm. And I read a statistic that this year, roughly 48% of people are resolving to exercise more. 32% are resolving to eat healthier. And another 34% want to lose weight, which is actually kind of low from last year. I remember reading the statistics last year. It was much higher. So I think, it, but I think it's safe to say that a lot of us are focusing on how we look and feel this year, but maybe not so much, like you were saying, the why behind it. I was reading in your biography that you um, have a lot of experience and knowledge on John Paul II's teachings of theology of the body. How do those play into how we should take care of our bodies? Well, it's funny because the theology of the body tends to get cast as this four-year-long chastity talk. And it's so much more than that. I always thought it was like, oh, that's just for married people. Right. That's the sex talk. Like right. nobody it's, does. We don't. It's the sex thing. Yeah. Right? But it's not. It's the sex thing, but only because it's the body thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, going back to your statistics of the 34% who want to lose weight, if all of the, that percentage did lose weight, 80% of those would gain it back. Mm. Why? Why do we gain it back? And it's not because we're stupid. It's not because we don't know how to. You know, generally, especially by the time you get to my age, you know what to do to nourish your body healthily um, and in a lively way. But there's a disconnect between what our brains know is good for us. I'm going to get into neurology here, so let me see if I can <laughs> simplify this. Um, what our, our upper brains know is right for us, but then our more emotional instinctual brains are just made to keep us alive in the moment. They're not made to think long-term. And changing any habit, whether it's away from street drugs or street tacos, that's long-term. And the so the why behind why we go to our addictions, compulsions, and unhealthy attachments, for me, it's mostly food, um, it was way more important than what I'm supposed to eat. I knew I had to exercise. I knew I had to eat you know, different portions and different foods and all that other stuff. And I had done it before over and over and over again. And I gained it all back over and over and over again. Why was I in that cycle? It was because I hadn't made that connection that the theology of the body illustrates for us so clearly. We weren't made to have a relationship with food. We were made to have a relationship with persons, with the personal, with God, with each other. Um, the challenge is that this is a fallen world. You know, theology of the body says, you know, we are fallen but redeemed. Um, the fallen part says that where do we get hurt the most? It's the people. 
it's not the stuff. So who are we going? Where are we going? Who are we going to go to? Where are we going to go to feel safe? It's not going to be the people, not without a huge heart change and a huge leap in trust in God himself. And until we can really trust him that we will be okay, heart, mind, body, and soul, no matter how uncomfortable we feel, no matter what cross we're on right now, we're, we're just going to keep going back to the stuff because that's what I did. And I see it over and over again in my clients. And when I see that change happen, when I saw that change happen in myself, and now that I'm seeing it happen in other people, it's just mind-blowing that this, of course this works. Of course this works because it's just the theology of the body. It's just turning our attachment from stuff to the personal. It's just becoming what we were originally made to be. I love that you referenced that food can also be an addiction because I think when people think addiction, they automatically go to drugs and alcohol and cigarettes, not realizing that food can also be an unhealthy coping mechanism. It's not just fuel. It becomes how we avoid and I think that that's that's so powerful that it's and, and it sounds simple. It sounds like you just flip a switch, but it, it clearly is not that simple, is it? No, it's not. I forget who generated the phrase, the neurons that fire together wire together. Hmm. So it's sort of like if you imagine your brain as a jungle and you've beaten a path from pain to comfort. And you've beaten that path down, you know, first with you know, your machete, your metaphorical machete, and then walking it over and over and over and over again, getting a path from pain to connection is going to take a different route. And that has not been paved yet. That has not been cleared. So it takes a lot of energy, not just to cut a new path, to blaze a new trail, but to ignore the easier one that you've been using, in my case, for decades. It takes a whole mindset shift and a connection between mind and body and an ability to, you know, I call it hanging on the cross long enough to get to the resurrection hmm. um, because that's really what any temptation it is. It, whether you're tempted to use your phone when, you know, you really should be in mass, I don't know, um, or you're tempted to go to the refrigerator when you should really be doing your work, it's still a, a temptation to use the easier well-worn path and creating a new path takes time and energy and flexibility and humility and all of these virtues it takes faith hope and love you know faith that it's possible to live a different life hope that doing things differently could work and then love enough to trust god to be willing to reach out to our neighbors even though they're scary and to be willing to love ourselves enough to stay on the cross long enough that we are worth the cross that's a lot that's a lot and you can't flip a switch well i mean god could flip a switch and if that happens to be you know anybody listening hooray for you but that was not for me <laughs> in fact this, this is something this is a path that i have to you know keep clearing every moment of every day and i'm okay with that i'm okay with that because number one it took me over 40 years to get to that point where, you know, I was eight, had the strength, really. God had given me the strength. I'm not going to take a lot of credit for it. And the tools to, you know, cut a new path. But, you know, that old path is pretty wide and easy. And this life is hard. Very. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it's totally understandable that we would 
you know, want to stay with our addictions, our compulsions and our unhealthy attachments because they feel good in the moment. It's hard to imagine making the choice that will help us feel better three hours from now when we want to feel better now. Mm. And that's, you know, how it's just an image of being on the cross long enough to get to get to the resurrection. I mean, Jesus had to hang on until the very end, until it is finished. And, you know, so often I, I would hang on until I would see the, you know, container of cookies and go to that until it was finished. Um, that was my way. <laughs> but thankfully, that's not my way anymore. There's a way out. I love that you mentioned that it's 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 a game of patience. It's it's pl- you have to be willing to play the long game. Like you said, hang on till till the resurrection, because I think so often we get trapped in this all or nothing mentality of, uh, well, I already had one cookie, so I may as well just finish the whole thing because I already screwed up. So I'm just going to like go all the way. You know, I already screwed up for today. That means I can't get better when, in fact, you have choices throughout the day. You can the next choice could be a better choice. Or we think that, you know, life is like Instagram where (laughs) you can do a transition and all of a sudden you go from being you know, overweight to fit and healthy and having this perfect image. And I and I want to kind of keep going down the Instagram path because I feel like in the social media health and fitness space, there's a real push and pull, um, especially with those who subscribe to body positivity or body confidence, which is like feeling comfortable in your own skin, no matter what your size is. And those who believe that that type of thinking is unhealthy and it's contributing to the rise of obesity. What does the church say about our relationship with our bodies? Well, the catechism of the Catholic Church points out that and, you know, Aquinas points it out and the theology of the body points it out. um, And it, you know, has proven out in my experience and the experience of so many of my clients that our culture tries to tell us that we are these like souls poured into these body shaped jars when really we are souls with bodies bodies ensouled and embodied souls and it, it, like we can't take the two apart it's sort of um all, all the thomists out there are gonna like you know send me emails because i'm gonna get this wrong but <laughs> my dominican name is saint thomas aquinas so come on brother help me out here um there's you know the, in the sacraments we talk about it you know pretty regularly there's form and matter there's the matter the the stuff that is used and the form the stuff you do with what is used And that's those things work together to create, you know, for God to create a sacrament and for us to participate in it. And in that way, if we look at our bodies as sacramentals, I mean, St. John Paul II says that um, the body and only the body is capable of making visible the invisible, the spiritual and the divine. Like our bodies are here to show things that we can't see. Like our, our bodies are like the ink for the word of God. And so they matter. And yet the reason I called my program, my first program filled with good is because, you know, Mary in the Magnificat says um, the hunger he has filled with good things. And we're all hungry for something. And whatever your shape or size is today, you are already filled with good because you're already made in the image and likeness of God. And God loves you so much 
that he wants you to be full of life even here, even now in this fallen world. Now, going back to how hard it is, God is, our God is not uncompassionate. He knows how hard it is. And he, like, I'm very confident, faithful that he knew how hard it was for me all of those years to try and try and try and fail and fail and fail and think that I had failed him and that I did not love him enough. And now that, you know, I've gone through the process of really getting that love of God from my intellect down into my heart, I'm able to live it in my body much more. Um, and also, even though like, you know, I've, I've lost a hundred pounds, I've, you know, totally, you know, revamped how I do life. And yet you could look at me and say, well, she's not, you know, she's not bikini material or whatever. If the point of weight loss or health seeking is so that we can satisfy human opinion, we're always going to fail because human opinion is always changing. Whereas if our goal, I think, to is to live God's life most wholly and fully and image God's love for humanity most wholly in all we think, feel, and do, then that's just going to show whether it's, you know, showing in how one walks away from, say, an addiction like porn or how one walks away from an addiction like popcorn. You know, it's it's all the same mechanism in the brain. And the end result is hopefully not about how I'm going to look in a bathing suit. It's how I'm going to live in heaven. And so for those people who, you know, are approaching the idea of, you know, shaking a compulsion towards food only because you want to, I don't know, look good for somebody's wedding, uh, I think you're kind of missing the point. Because even if you, quote unquote, look good for somebody's wedding, there's always going to be some fallen person out there who's going to find something to complain about. Right. So... <laughs> You know, if if you're looking for, you know, likes on Instagram, you're 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 going to be disappointed. I kind of want to piggyback off of that for a minute because I feel like there's a really fine line between honoring and taking care of our bodies and obsession and preoccupation. And like we said, for pure vanity, where we strive so hard for perfection. I mean, we see it everywhere. It's it's on magazines. It's shows aimed at contestants who can lose the most weight. And putting all of our emphasis in our physical bodies, like you said, rather than our spiritual bodies. But if they're if they're connected, how do we make sure that they're both healthy? And again, walk that fine line between because I feel like you could eventually become obsessed with, you know, trying to create the perfect body, whether that's in spiritual or physical form. Well, first of all, the um, try the obsession with anything generally comes from perfectionism. Um, I want to feel perfect. I want people to think I'm perfect. So I'm going to do and do and do until somebody tells me I'm perfect. And that's like, God is never going to tell you you're perfect here, but he's going to tell you you're wonderfully made. Mm. Um, but anyway, going back to that perfectionism thing and the um, obsession that often comes from it. If I often tell my clients that if we were going to judge, complain, and criticize ourselves into perfection, it would have worked by now. What happens in the brain-body combo is that 
when we find something to complain about our, in ourselves, when we use that self-talk in our brain to, you know, say, I'm, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. Um, what we do is we cause our brains pain. We cause our whole selves pain. And what was I talking about before with the path from pain to comfort? Where's that going to go? That's just going to lead to more food. This is why so, in my opinion, so many people, that's why of that 80% of people who lose weight are going to gain it back again. Because that until that self-talk is changed, until that obsession is changed, the that that pain is going to continue to cause more pain, which makes it a lot harder to change that path. So the the danger with obsession, I think, has its roots in perfectionism. And until we trust God to make sure enough that we can believe we will be okay, not because of anything we've done, but because of his mercy, we're going to you know, just keep missing that boat, keep using the wrong path and or the, the least helpful path. Um, but there's there's another way and there's there's hope. And it, it's pretty cool because that's why that's why I talk about, um, you know, my work as not about necessarily weight loss. I mean, honestly, I use the word weight loss because of SEO and <laughs> search engines um, because that's what people are looking for. People are looking for Catholic weight loss. Um, and that's not quite what this is. If that happens incidentally, yay. But um, really, it's about the heart change and the food freedom, like to be able to still to this day so far, um, I am always surprised when I like, you know, I started eating a chocolate, didn't feel like finishing it, put it away. And then like three weeks later, I find it still uneaten. Number one, how did my dogs not find it? But number two, like, how did I forget? How did I forget chocolate? How? Never in the my life had I forgotten chocolate before. Now it happens kind of on the regular, which I guess is also a testament to my scatterbrainedness, but it's also <laughs> a testament to how my, um, you know, my priorities have changed, that I'm more focused on God than the food, more focused on relationship than the food. And so, like, I think that's the, the shift away from that lack of balance, that obsession with perfectionism. I feel like there's a relationship with food that especially that also needs healing, is that if you're turning to... If you're turning to food for for comfort rather than connection, like when you're out with with friends or whatever, and that takes a lot that takes a lot of work internally as well. I was working with um with a dietitian recently because I was so focused on like my caloric intake and like if I went over this number that this app told me that like I had failed and like my whole day was shot and I undid all the good work that I had done. And she looks at me and she's like, "It's an app." Like it's a computer with a randomly generated number. Why are you letting it control your life? Let's focus on like getting you feeling better and like eating with balance. And I was like, it just blew my mind that I had completely forgotten about balance and and focusing more on the relationship with my husband and my kids sitting at the table and making sure everyone's eating with balance versus like if I don't eat 656 calories at this meal and my macros are this, that, and the third – I want to go back to something that you said, though, about um, how we talk to ourselves and and constantly using negative language when we talk to her. Like you wouldn't go up to your friend and say, 
something horrible that you would to yourself in the mirror. Well, I know people who would, but oh. most, most people <laughs> most don't. Most people. <laughs> most people don't. So what about what about those of us who, who really struggle with that, like with with a negative body image or like yourself, you said you, you mentioned you had an eating disorder. How do we how do we balance and marry our faith to our wellness? I think it again comes down to being able to trust God fully with all outcomes because, well, let's put it this way. Um, one of the things I held on to bef- before I got into recovery um, was about my body image. And that's this fear that if I lost weight, it would draw attention to a part of my body that won't change when I lose weight, that doesn't change when I lose weight and is already, unfortunately, um, very attention getting. And I was scary and I'd rather just be a lump than be, you know, an object for people to look at. But the transformation that had to happen for me was that I would trust God that I would be okay no matter how people look at me, including myself. And so it had to get to a point where I trust God to protect me and keep me whole and restore me when people are staring at my body parts and not my eyes. And until I could get to a place where I trust God, I trust that God thinks I'm beautiful no matter how many people tell me I'm not or act like I'm not. And until I could get to that place. I was always pursuing somebody else's opinion when God's opinion will never change. You know, that's why like in my before and after picture, um, I know some people aren't fond of those, but I showed my before and after picture because my before picture, I looked really good. I looked lovely in that dress. That was such a cute purse. It was like, you know, it was a lovely picture. My makeup was on point that day. It was, you know, it was the whole thing. And you know, and then in my, you know, quote unquote, after picture, you know, yeah, 100 pounds are gone. And I still looked like I was lovely in both pictures. And anybody who was looking for reasons to complain about my body, including myself, wasn't looking in the right direction. There's another direction to look. And I think that would help, you know, what you were saying about eating disorders. Um, you know, my eating disorder was not, you know, people a lot of times when they think eating disorders, they think anorexia. Bulimia, I don't want to eat. Yeah. They think bulimia. And they assume bulimia only means I binge and then I purge and then I throw up or maybe use laxatives. Um, I discovered, you know, I keep saying that I have binge eating disorder. I discovered that I fit the diagnostic criteria for bulimia. Hmm. Even when I was 100 pounds overweight, 100, you know, whatever pounds overweight, because I was on a binge restrict cycle. I would restrict. That would cause me pain. What do I do when I'm in pain? I go down that well-worn path back to the food to make myself feel better. I'm in pain because my stomach hurts and I'm ashamed of myself. So I go back to restrict and back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, it's, it's different than, you know, anorexia or bulimia or um, a bunch of other, you know, eating disorders. um, If you look up in the DSM, but at its core, just like any addiction compulsion or unhealthy attachment, it's about not trusting God to get us to the other side of constructive discomfort. If we're going to let go of any of that, we need to learn how to trust that God's going to get us to the other side and we will be okay. 
And that's, you know, whether it's somebody's opinion about your body, whether it's your own opinion about what you should be eating when, you know, science tell and your body is telling you otherwise, you know, whether it's too much, too little, um, it's all, I think it's the same mechanism. It just expresses itself differently in different people. I love what you said about chasing other people's opinions. When I, I think my youngest was like maybe two um, and I hadn't lost the weight and I was like really beating myself up, but my kids really wanted to go to the pool and I had been reading um, Rachel Hollis's book at the time. I think it was Girl, Wash Your Face. And she said, um, someone else's opinion of you is none of your business. And that like changed my whole summer because I was like, I'm going to rock that swimsuit. I don't care. My kids don't care. My kids just want me to go swimming with them in the baby pool and just sit there and like splash them. Like they don't care. My kids aren't going to say anything. And anybody else who has something to say, like should be more concerned about themselves <laughs> and their relationship with with God or whoever. You know, it was that to me is was really life changing. It's like you said, I think the only person whose opinion truly matters is God's yeah. and and how he feels about you. And and if you're created in his image and likeness and you're fearfully and wonderfully made, then obviously he cares about 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 you and how you feel. I want to kind of build off of that. Talk about um, obsession. I feel like taking care of our health and our physical fitness could potentially be in conflict with our spiritual goals if if we're focusing solely on that like how many minutes I'm on the treadmill or you know the macros that I'm eating or again like going back to the calorie counting app like well yeah, I think I ha had that app as well at one point in my life yes, <laughs> I, I think I points. had it for years <laughs> so this is the first like three months that I haven't been using it and I'm like this load has just been lifted yeah. off of me um, so talk to me a little bit about is there a conflict between our health and physical fitness versus our spiritual fitness or are they linked? I mean, I kind of said, like, why would there be a conflict? It, it, it goes back to that obsession, whether we are, you know, pursuing God's love and our love for God or whether we're pursuing human opinion um, is going to dictate. I recently heard where your focus goes, your energy flows. That sounds really new agey, but I mean, like, if you take it out, of, you know, take it out of that context and think like think in terms of, you know, what we call spirit, what we call, you know, like our physical energy, not like, you know, some sort of new age thing, just like the the life force that we put into stuff. Um, if we're directing it towards, again, human opinion, then we're that's what we're going to be obsessed with. And we will express it in, you know, how many, you know, marathon stickers I can put on the back of my car or magnets or whatever. Um, and but then there's also the danger of um, scrupulosity. Where, you know, I've had, you know, people sort of hint to me, never really say out loud that well, I don't have time for exercise because, you know, I have to pray every single liturgy of the hours and um, I have to go to three daily masses. I'm exaggerating here. But, um, you know, we can take we're humans. This is a fallen world. We can take anything and run the wrong way with it, whether it's exercise, whether it's nutrition, whether it's the liturgy of the hours like we will somebody will find a way to make it an obsession. Um, and that's, again, because we are trying to use our own power to make ourselves feel safe. And it's a fallen world. It's not that's not going to happen. It's like trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so we've got to, like, you know, really let go and trust that, again, I, I sound like a broken record, but trust that God's going to get us through 
that discomfort to our resurrection, whether that's discomfort is you know, spending time with your kids instead of spending time training for a marathon. Not that marathons are bad, but, you know, there are some people who choose marathon over family, who choose marathon over, you know, relationship over charity. It's really easy. We'll take anything and turn it into a, an obsession. The The challenge is to, you know, get out of that automatic space of whatever our habits and compulsions are and into a space of freedom where we are deliberately choosing because we know whatever choice we make because we're staying connected to our divine purpose you know we're we're going to mess it up and god's okay with that like he it's not like he's surprised that we're sinners like this wasn't like oh, what my creation no i mean he, he knew this was coming he saw it coming um yeah i don't know if that answers your question i hope it does it does <laughs> it does and it kind of it, it kind of steers me back to um something that you said earlier about like like our negative self-talk and and trying to loathe ourselves into holiness for for lack of a better term um because i can't tell you how many times i've said this like whether i'm dealing with health issues or weight issues that like oh my problem is that my body hates me you know no matter how hard i try to be healthy it just never does what i wanted to do and i end up feeling broken and at this time of year it's prime time for companies that prey upon vulnerabilities and they promise quick fixes miracle pills extreme health and wellness strategies correct me if i'm wrong but from what i understand the theology of the body focuses on how we were designed by god to function so we could apply those principles to how we meet our health and fitness goals in the new year without loathing the bodies that God gave us. How, how do we, how do we do that? Like what's, what's, if, if somebody were going to start tomorrow and say, I want to utilize the principles and theology of the body to get back to loving myself and really only caring about what God thinks of me, what would your first piece of advice be? I think the first thing to point out is whenever we say, I hate my body. And first, let me like, you know, validate. I have been there. Like, oh, my body hates me. Um, I'm in this pain because my body hates me. I can't lose weight because my Something's body hates wrong me. Something's wrong with me. Something's wrong yeah. with me. Um, when we say that, we're saying ourselves hate ourselves. Because, you know, we like I was saying before, we are, our souls and bodies are enmeshed. That you, we cannot, we cannot separate them. God can at death, but we cannot. And so when we complain about our bodies, again, it kind of goes back to what you were saying about what I was saying about how we try to, you know, berate ourselves into better behavior. And there's that old saying of, um, the beatings will continue until morale improves. I think my dad has that on the okay. shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of the mindset. Yeah. That, you know, I will just keep beating myself up until, you know, I finally get in line. And like, seriously, if that were going to work, by it would have worked by now. It's probably not going to work. Are you willing to try something else? And that's the thing. Like, since there are so many, you know, I'm talking about trying something else. Like you said, every, especially around the new year, you know, try this pill try this exercise program try this mushroom coffee you know whatever try these greens it, that it'll solve all your problems and like i don't even know if there's anybody who really believes that entirely but it's 
we are so designed for hope that often enough we're willing to hope that there is a faster way. Because, uh, you know, if you think about it, our brains are made to keep us alive in the moment. It's our higher brains, our more image of God brains, prefrontal cortex, for those of you reading along at home, that is, you know, capable of the long-term thinking. And if we are so used to living in just emotion and survival, rather than in long-term thinking and godly living, then we're not even going to think that a long-term solution would be worth trying because it's just not on our radar. The only things we're going to be able to see are the quick fixes, the you know, miracle pills. And God keeps gently showing us that they don't work because he loves us, because he wants relationship with us, not us to have attachments to pills or powders or whatever that's very very true and it, it's so it, like the marketing machine is strong it is this time of year <laughs> like I, I can't tell you how many accounts i've had to like mute or <laughs> unfollow just because i'm like i don't i don't need that to derail me right now i'm making good progress let's keep it going <laughs> so what about those of us who like i have several friends who are you know disabled or currently struggling with um, an illness, injury, you know, like a disability, how can we continue to honor our gods with our bodies if our, if our bodies are not functioning in the way that we would like? Well, here's the thing. Um, when we look at the Trinity, God made humans to have something that two of the three persons in the Trinity don't have. And that's a body. And for those of us who struggle with self-esteem, God gave us something that God in a mysterious way doesn't have. Like that's, that's pretty amazing. So we have these bodies, they take up space, they take up time. And who told us that we have to exercise at a certain level in order for it to be exercised? And are those sources opinions worth going to for godly advice? Probably not. So if the point of exercise is to mold our bodies into conforming to some human's ever-changing opinion, then we're going to look down on ourselves for having an illness or an injury or a disability. However, if we look at this as, you know, not just we honor God with our bodies, but God has gone, God has honored us with bodies. Like to have a body is an honor and it was made to move in space. So if it's about celebrating that I was made to move in time and space rather than I got to fix this yucky body of mine, that's when transformation can actually occur. And that's when, you know, exercise becomes what it can be, whether you are disabled or injured or sick or just sick of exercising, <laughs> you know, um, if it's about just moving because God made you to move, then it's about living in God's image and God's plan. And so exercise can be what we can make it to honor God in a shadow, just a shadow of the way he honors us. I love that. And I love that 
you know, the way we traditionally think about exercise is like getting on the treadmill or going going to run a marathon or, you know, bench pressing 120 pounds or something like that, something ridiculous. When in fact, like, and this was something that I had to learn because I was always of the mindset, like, I didn't work out today, meaning I didn't do a traditional set aside however many minutes and walk on the treadmill or lift weights um, or go for a formal walk. Um, exercise can be having a dance party with your kids. Um, my husband has this VR headset and we play this game as a family called beat saber, where you're just like waving your hands and you have to like, it's like a lightsaber, but you're smacking (laughs) things to the, to the beat of the music. And that's like a way, like it gets movement in and we're spending time with our family. Like there's, you can go on a family walk. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, getting a gym membership and going at a set time every day or waking up at the crack of dawn to, you know, get a sweat on. It can be, you know, as simple as I'm just going to go for a walk and listen to nature, or I'm going to have a dance party with my kids and we're going to build a fort or something, something silly. And I say silly, but it's not silly when you think about it. It's, it's building on the relationship, built, focusing on relationships, like with, with God and how you view your body and with your family. And, and that's another thing. Cause I feel like one of the most popular excuses for putting off a workout or even a healthy meal is I don't have time. Or, I mean, especially with inflation nowadays, it's too expensive to eat healthy. What are some other ways that we can kind of make the best use of our time um, and and our finances to both honor our God and our bodies and our families? So the thing that shocked me to my one of the things that shocked me to my core in my recovery adventure has been that making time for the things choosing to devote time to things like stillness learning to be still saved me huge amounts of time and money because when i started practicing being still Um, You know, the oblates are going to call this, you know, stability. Um, The Dominicans, we call it contemplation, meditation. Um, There are other, you know, words for it, even within our Catholic tradition. That, you know, that, that ability to stand still, to stay still and be okay. Helped me do things like withstand the urge to go pick up something quick at the fast food place because I know I I knew you know had the experience of okay I was able to sit still for 10 whole minutes I can sit in this car for 15 minutes to drive home and not stop to get something so that saved me huge amounts of money one of my triggers um has always long been um driving out in the car with money especially by myself because mm. you know hello wawa well now a mountain sheets country hello convenience <laughs> store um you know hello fast food and um you know having the you know again i gotta go back to that staying on the cross being able to stay still on that cross long enough to get through to the other side has saved me money it's saved me time in the sense of learning how to reprioritize you know what's important to me to you know really get in touch with self-care what self-care actually is 
Um, it's not, you know, zoning out with my phone for three hours. It's, you know, doing the hard thing, like, you know, going and, you know, doing my, my workout and then, you know, talking to somebody else in recovery. So I'm staying in a relationship rather than, you know, trying to have a relationship with food. So the things that we, you know, often think of like, oh, if I just listen to, you know, Bible in a year while I'm training for my marathon, then I'm knocking to, you know, fe- feeding two birds with one scone, as my kids always joke. <laughs> um, or, you know, if I, you know, just pray the rosary while I'm eating, I don't like if, if trying to jam things together. Like if I get more into my schedule, then I'll be able to do more. I found that never worked for me. What worked for me was learning how to be still and tolerate constructive discomfort so that I could look clearly, again, with my higher brain, my image of God brain, and say, okay, uh, this is important, but this is not. Like, honestly, this, you know, the the Christmas season, let's let's talk about the Christmas season since it's nearby. You know, before it was all about like, we, by this time of year, my kids and I had made a, like a list of cookies that we had to bake before um, Epiphany Sunday. These are all the cookies, and there's probably like 20 different kinds. This year, we're all just like, you know, we only just want one thing. And I don't even, nobody wants it now even. (laughs) So it's, you know, the the time that I was pouring into things like baking cookies. Now that it's simplified, it's like, you know, we'd kind of rather just hang out and talk rather than bake and get grouchy about who spilled the flour, who dropped an egg, (laughs) what the dog got into because somebody left it out. You know, that sort of thing. It's that's that shifting of priorities that really made the difference more than trying to cram more things in because i'd like to say like you know we we can binge on anything we can try to stuff in anything and when we just focus on you know one thing at a time one day at a time one moment at a time one step at a time we learn how to prioritize and when we learn how to prioritize we learn how to listen more closely to the Holy Spirit speaking in us and seeing it's so much easier for me now to see what's important and what's not. I'm not doing it perfectly. You know, I'm not, please, you know, please nobody think that I'm like getting this right all the time. Um, but it is different than it used to be. It's clearer. It's more peaceful. I always think of um, not the Rocky movies. Well, I mean, Rocky's in the movie, but um, the movie Creed where they're doing the, the training montage and Rocky keeps saying um, one step at a time, one punch at a time, one round at a time. And I always go back to that at the beginning of the year, because it's like you said, like if you, it, even if you can't see the whole staircase, you got to take the next right step. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think stillness, like you said, is so important and it's so hard. <laughs> yeah. it's like I'm one of those people that if I'm not doing something that I'm like, I feel like I should be doing something right now. Like I can't sit on the couch anymore because I'm like, something needs to get done. I must be forgetting something. Or like you're by yourself, you're relaxing and somebody else comes in the door. I got to be doing something. Yes. Yeah. They have to have that perception of of productivity when rest is also productive. And Mm -hmm. I think that we rest in stillness and we, it's so often overlooked and forgotten and just hard, (laughs) hard. but it's a practice. Just like you would practice for, a fight or practice for a marathon or my kids go to wrestling practice. Mm-hmm. It's something, it's a, it's a learned skill. Right. And actually speaking of practice, you know, I'm 
well, I'm there with you on the Rocky thing and the Creed thing, because I'm <laughs> originally from the Philadelphia area myself. And um, the but back to the practice, I'm I also one of my you know side gigs is I teach a, a Shakespeare class to homeschoolers. And every year we put on a play. And so we have to, you know, we rehearse. And the one thing I keep telling them is we are never going to get this perfect. Something is always going to go wrong, but we can always make it excellent. And that's been really, that's one of those things, like when it comes out of my mouth, when I'm saying it to other kids, like, you know, my kids, the, the kids that I teach, uh, I always like, you know, kind of feel like this... Oh, that was for me <laughs> to, you know, really drop that, that perfectionism because I'm not going to get this perfect, but I can make this excellent. I can achieve this moment's excellence. And Paul says, you know, think on what is excellent, mm -hmm. not think of how all the ways you messed up. <laughs> no. And it's, I, it reminds me of this. Um, I had read a book called directing actors and I think I, I'm hoping I get her name right. I think it was Judith Weston who wrote the book. Um, but she, one of her tips in there is to tell the actor to just mess it up, like on purpose, like don't just, just do it. I don't care if it's perfect. Like you have full freedom to mess up and nine times out of 10, they would nail it because that burden of feeling like they had to be perfect was lifted. Mm -hmm. So maybe giving ourselves the freedom to know it's not going to be perfect to, to always aim for the stars, aim for excellence and understand that perfection is, is an illusion. Mm -hmm. then... I remember somebody saying, telling me perfection is just a human opinion. Yes. That's so true. And you know, we're not, we're not going to have human opinion to hang on to, you know, for eternity. Mm -mm. Going back to some, some like, I guess tips that we can use. How is there a tactile way that we can enlist our faith in order to achieve a balanced, healthy attitude towards exercise, keep us motivated, and glorify God with our bodies? There is, you know, anybody who's, you know, explored anything around the topic of mental health has heard of grounding, you know, the experience of being grounded, of being present. And that's important because we cannot do anything fully unless we are doing it in the present, unless our minds are completely in the present. So if I'm only thinking of pain I had before, I won't be in touch with what I, what God wants me to do right now. If I'm only thinking of what all the pain that is coming or will probably come, I won't be able to focus on what God has me doing now. So, you know, in terms of what you said with tactile, um, in filled with good theology, the body for food addicts, that's the, the, uh, main course that I run um, where I share the tools that I used and still use um, to stay in food freedom. We have this acronym called POUR, P-O-U-R, like, you know, God pouring grace into us. And the P stands for presence. And so that's just stop and ask myself, where are my feet? Where is my seat? Um, usually, like, every, you know, mental health practitioner I would talk to, focus on your breathing. Sweetie, I have asthma. You're telling me to, like... <laughs> Think about the part of my body that's trying to kill me on the regular. So no thanks. So where are my feet? Where is my seat? And wherever I am, God is showering me with unconditional affection. And then the next letter is O for observe. What is going on around me? Why did my brain want to go somewhere else? You know, because, you know, a kid's mad at me. 
that's usually the thing that sets me off. Um, a kid is mad at me. I'm feeling lonely. Um, I have this huge deadline. You know, I'm, you know, somebody's, this you know, negotiation is whatever. All, all sorts of things can go wrong. And that's causing me pain. And then the U, P-O-U, stands for understanding. That's where I give myself self-compassion. So it goes back to that self-talk thing where we're not going to talk about, you know, oh, you're so stupid. Why did you, you know, get into this relationship with that person who's going to do that to you? No, we offer ourselves self-compassion. Of course, I want to go to food right now because it feels a lot better than being yelled at by a 13-year-old that I love who is say, saying in one way or another right now, she does not love me. You know, <laughs> the, 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 you know the chips, are they, they feel a lot better than that. I'd rather go there. So of course I'd want to go there. Of course I'd want to go to that well-beaten path. And then R, P-O-U-R, R stands for reach for relationship. Because again, we are made for Trinitarian love. We are made to be an image of the God who is love, the God who is relationship. Um, you know, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's relationship. That's what we are made for. You know, it's it's not explicit in the theology of the body, but it's there. You know, we're made for relationship. So if we want to heal from these negative things, we've got to choose what we were made for, our purpose. And that was relationship. So, you know, in my case, I'll like, you know, step away and text a friend who else who is also in recovery. Um I will, if I have the time, I will go to a recovery meeting online um, if there's one running. And there usually is, that's, which is wonderful. Or like if I actually have another kid who's around <laughs> who's not mad at me, I'll go talk to that kid, you know, um, or shoot off an email to like one time. I actually just had a, a writing friend who's also, you know, she was on the Filled with Good Beta team. I'm like. You know, I am under so much stress. I have to cook dinner. And one of the things I have, you know, had myself stop doing was eating while I'm cooking because then I'd be like full by the time I ate. But then, oh, I have to eat with my family. So it's just like always a binge every meal, especially dinner. Um, so I'm like, look, can we just talk shop while I chop vegetables because <laughs> it'll keep me from eating other things. And wow, it worked. You know, we, I've always taught, you know, don't distract yourself, face your problems head on. Well, if your problem is that you're focusing on your problems instead of your solution, maybe you need distraction. <laughs> but distraction in terms of relationship, in terms of what we were made for, not in terms of what we were not made for. I love that. Those are all really excellent like options for us to to reach for in in our toolbox. Like I, I always reference that like we we have this this giant toolbox that God gives us and we we put our tools that help us make it through life and make it back you know, our ultimate goal is heaven. So how do we, how do we do that in, in this world? And that those are some excellent, some excellent um, tools for the, that toolbox. Can I touch on that? Absolutely. Though, because if you have a toolbox that is full of tools that are brand new and shiny and lovely, and you've only ever used a hammer, you're going to treat everything like it's a nail. So, you know, I was talking about, you know, we were talking about how to enlist our faith to, you know, stay in balance. I was talking specifically about times when we are tempted. Mm -hmm. um, I have found that this goes back to the practice thing, the rehearsal thing. You know, people would, I, I had, you know, therapists tell me, you know, use this grounding technique, focus on your breathing whenever you're, you know, anxious. All that did for me was associate those exercises with anxiety. Mm. So they would make me more anxious instead of doing what they were supposed to do. And I, it occurred to me, 
I would never put my cast up on stage without adequate rehearsal. Never. In a million years. So, but we don't rehearse in front of the audience. We rehearse ahead of time when we have space to play, when we have space to get it wrong, when we have space to try new things. And so those techniques that I, I teach in, in uh, Filled With Good, the, the course is designed so that you practice them first before you try using them in a sudden moment of temptation so that you have that experience already of doing this feels good. Maybe I can try this to feel good instead of trying food to feel good or trying, you know, whatever I've had um, people come through the course who have used it to um, avoid other behaviors as well. Unless you practice using other tools, we're, we're always going to use the ones we've are used to using. So you mentioned you had um, a couple of courses that you offer. Could you talk a little bit more about those and any other resources that you would recommend? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you go to my website, erinmccolecup.com, I've got, you know, several different, a few different channels you can kind of go down. But the big obvious one was at, at the top, I have a quiz you can take. Um, are you really ready for, are you spiritually ready for permanent weight loss? Because if you are not ready to do anything, if you are not ready to sit on that cross long enough, please don't buy Filled With Good because it's just going to be too much. It's going to be too hard. Um, filled With Good is the one I started with. That's got a, uh, you know, it's a six chapter video series that comes with a journal and you get a total of eight webinars to attend. And they're really important because it's about building community. It's about building that relationship, that facility with relationship rather than going to food. However, I discovered over the year, the yearish that I've been doing this, um, people, as soon as they get to the relationship part, a lot of them were dropping out. And I'm like, this isn't going to work with the relationship. And I also had all these people saying, well, when are you going to have something that I don't need to go to a webinar for? I'm not ready to talk to people. And it occurred to me, I'm like, you know, I was saying it's not going to work without the webinar. It's not going to work without the webinar. It occurred to me like, oh, I had those 15 or so years where I had a theology book in one hand and the chips in the other. You know, I talk a lot about head knowledge needing to go down to the heart knowledge, but until we have, like that head knowledge is important. It lays those rails for, you know, the heart knowledge to come and blossom and how the body lives and moves and has its, be has its being. So inspired by that, um, I just, in November of 2023, I launched a course called Real Food Catholic Virtues for Permanent Weight Loss. And that is just, you know, five-step self-paced, listen to it when you're ready or watch it when you're ready because I've got it set up so that you can either treat it like a podcast or if, you know, you've got a baby that you're nursing and the baby is asleep and you can't be playing noise. Nap-trapped. Um, yeah, nap-trapped. <laughs> oh, my goodness. They didn't have that phrase when I was I had little babies. That's a good one. I have cap captions on there. I have captions on there so you can just read along as, you know, you're, you're learning. And that talks about – in Real Food, I talk about how – you know, one of the things that, you know, with addiction, compulsion, or unhealthy attachment, the effect of that is our faith gets wounded because just like the, the vir theological virtue of faith is what enables us to have a relationship with God because we know God exists or we believe we can believe God exists. So you can't have a relationship with somebody you don't think exists. If we believe a different way of getting through life exists, then we'll be able to do it. 
We can't do it without that belief. And another thing that gets damaged is our hope. And I'm talking to all of my fellow yo-yo dieters out there, because when you try and fail and try and fail and try and fail, your hope gets injured. My hope was certainly injured. I couldn't imagine that anything would work. What needed to happen was first I needed to have the faith that it could happen. And then I needed the hope that doing these things will make a difference. Doing these completely new things because, you know, there aren't many quote unquote diet programs that talk to you about here's how to make a phone call so you can have somebody talk you down off of the ledge of, you know, that bag of chips or whatever it is. Um, I mean, I say chips, I keep saying chips, but also like I've, my eating disorder is such that I have binged on celery mm. without ranch dressing. Like it's, the, it was, it's that sick. Um, so there's the faith, there's the hope you need. And then again, we need that love that we can trust that God loves us enough to get us through to the other side. We can trust that God loves us enough to put good enough people in our life to help us build positive relationships so that we want relationship with the personal instead of with material. And then love of self needs to grow. We need to grow in that virtue so that, again, like that's one of the things I kept hearing in my own self-talk and then in my clients after my self-talk had changed that, well, I don't think I'm worth it. I'm not worth all this trouble. I don't want to be a burden. And we were designed to be burdens. You know, who who told us that you weren't we weren't supposed to be burdens? That's ridiculous. So we need to love ourselves enough to be willing to be burdens. And, you know, like we were talking about before, the time and energy that it takes, that's a burden. And the cross says that I'm worth the burden of treating well. And so real that was a long-winded way of saying real food is about, you know, giving tools to restore those virtues. Um so that, you know, one is capable of thinking, hey, you know what, maybe, maybe taking these big leaps would be helpful. Maybe this would be worth my while. So I have that quiz to help you decide, like, which would be better for you. Um, that's at the top of my webpage. And then if you, I also have um, a number of free resources on my webpage. One is called Self-Control 101. It's just a little five, five step, you know, little goofy little tools that I've used to, you know, help me stay, you know, out of temptation or how to face it. And, you know, just another of other resources. If you're um, looking for another path outside of the kinds of things that I offer and one that's truly Catholic, there's an organization called Catholic in Recovery. Um, if you go to catholicandrecovery.com, they have virtual meetings and in-person meetings that are based on 12-step recovery. So for anybody who's not familiar, it's sort of like it's, um, you know, based on the format that Alcoholics Anonymous uses. And they, Catholic in Recovery has, um, you know, like I said, the in-person meetings across the country, but there are also a ton of virtual meetings for pretty much any addiction. They've got, you know, meetings for general recovery, for just alcoholism, for just eating disorders, for just people who are, you know, trying to work out unhealthy patterns they learned from their families of origin. And it's just like on and on and on. There's so many um, so many options for ways to get connected there too, that I you know, can't recommend enough. That's awesome. I will definitely be linking those in the show notes. Cause I had, I had no idea about Catherine recovery. I think that that's just excellent. And that, that even if you can't go in person, there's now the virtual option, which I don't think would have been there 
pre-COVID or at least not as extensive. Oh, it was there before COVID, but then like COVID hit and it's like, whoo, it like, just blossomed. Yeah. Like I think when I first started at the very beginning of COVID, um, there were like six meetings a week or something like that. And now there are like 30. I don't even know. <laughs> it's like, it's a lot. <laughs> There's lots of options. It's beautiful. That's amazing. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming in and pouring into us today about all things weight loss and health and and relationships. And I hope that you have an amazing 2024. Uh, Likewise, Rachel, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org DAC and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.